0: You're listening to A Book at Breakfast, with Mark Charlesworth and Chris Newton.
1: On the outskirts of the village, down a quiet lane, there sits a house. Just another old house in another old village. Except Goosner is not just any old village, and Chingle Hall is not just any old house. Shielded from the roadside by reaching oaks and curtains of willow, has sat here in sullen isolation through an age. The lane is peaceful, near silent, save for the song of blackbirds and the whisper of fallen leaves underfoot. The house is quiet too, but there is nothing natural about the silence that weeps from its windows and streaks down from its walls. It wears this abnormal hush like a funeral veil. It exists on a stunted breath, Held centuries long, screaming through exhalation. The house is waiting, waiting for you. That was Chingle Hall by Zowie Swam. And that's the book. What's the breakfast? Drumroll. I'm sure you've all been waiting for this
0: moment for ten months. Because the breakfast is finally as advertised in our profile picture. (laughs) It's our signature dish. Crumpets with Marmite. Mmm. Mmm. They look so tantalising while you were reading. (laughs) I was trying to resist.
1: Like... It's kind of hard to resist. And I feel like the next five minutes mm. are just going to be chomping sounds. I think that's what they listen for, really. (laughs) Just the the mastication. Which is ASMR at its finest.
0: Whilst I was waiting and looking at the crumpets, it's... You know, when the... The butter, I mean, it's not real butter, the the vegetable spread (laughs) seeps through Mm. the holes of the crumpet and mingles with the Marmite and sort of, you get this sort of golden river of delight Mm. on the plane that you Mm. mop up with the, with the, with the crumpet. Mm. I think in our Time Traveller's Wife episode, we said that there there were fewer, more comforting things than Marmite on toast. Marmite
1: and crumpet, that's the that's the king. There is something about the softness of the crumpet. It almost feels pillow-like. Mm. We could lay our heads down on the spongy bread and let the marmite <laughs> seep into our skin and our hair. It would be paradise for us and torture for others. Yeah, of course, it would be difficult not to eat the pillow in this strange bread sleep analogy that is appropriately
0: hellish <laughs> for our spooky episode <laughs> because it might be worth mentioning that as it's October we're not just eating normal crumpets we're mm. eating Lakeland Bake mm. spooky ghost crumpets mm. Mm. what could be the more perfect accompaniment to a ghost story
1: <laughs> I must take some more crumpet mm. That's funny Talking about uh, the hell of uh, <laughs> sleeping on sticky, marmitey, crumpet <laughs> pillows for some people makes me think of The Simpsons with their uh, Homer being forced their donuts in <laughs> hell in one of the Halloween episodes <laughs> on a machine. Mm. Well,
0: as this is our Halloween episode, it makes sense to talk all things ghosts. And just for anyone who isn't familiar with Jingle Hall, I will, well, we'll properly introduce it, the novel, later. It only came out in October 2021. No one says 2021. It's 2021. No, no. I got that wrong. <laughs> it was all the year 2000 mm. when we were growing up. When, they, when mm. did they change the <laughs> rules?
1: Saying 2001 felt really weird. Mm. Then again, you wouldn't say 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> well, maybe somebody says, but you, you if, if you do, why? Why do you do that?
0: Anyway, Chingle Hall, the novel by Zoe Swan, was released in October 2021. Um, but for anyone who doesn't know, Chingle Hall is a real place. Um, and it's just outside of Preston in the north of England. Uh, and it is reputedly england 's most haunted house, uh, some say britain 's most haunted house so and I think for a lot of people, certainly people our age growing up around where where we live or lived. Chingle was famous, and I think less so now because it 's no longer open to the public. but um, when did you first become aware of Chingle Hall
1: well it's funny, I remember doing a walk with my mum and sister. And I think I was about seven, and we were walking around Guzmere, and we walked past this uh, strange house that was set back from the road, Mm. and it looked like um, it didn't quite belong with the rest of the village, like it was kind of shunned, like the kids stood at the back of the group of... Shrouded by oaks. Mm. And I remember my mum telling me that it was reputed as the most haunted house in Britain. And then shortly afterwards... Well, maybe a couple of years afterwards. You remember the series, uh, well, of course you do, Strange But True. (laughs) Yeah, I thought you might mention that. It was on Strange But True, which was. uh, It used to be on Saturday nights. Yeah. And it was a a brilliant series uh, where each week they would explore kind of myths, ghost stories, urban Mm. legends, and, um, you know, there'd be some great talking heads and reconstruction footage and like. You know, grainy footage of people like out in the snow and something that might be a yeti in the distance. This wasn't the Chingle Hall episode, by the way. I'm just talking <laughs> about the format generally. There are no yetis at Chingle Hall, to the that best of, of our knowledge, <laughs> yes. And um, Chingle Hall was featured in one of the episodes. Yeah. And did it have people staying over at the yes, hall? Yes, I think there was yeah. a vigil that was recorded. Yes. And I, I was like, Oh my God, it's that house that I walked past with my wow. mum a couple of years ago. And it seemed like the most exciting thing because strange but true always seemed to happen in other places. And there was something really tantalising and mysterious about it. And it was from that era of like the X-Files and uh, mm. even and the, Tomorrow People. The, the demon head sequence
0: It had that kind of eerie X-Files-esque. Yes. I guess it was kind of post-Doctor Who- yeah spooky theme tune sort of thing it had that Mm. shimmering title sequence Mm. sort of you know william Mm. hartnell-esque and it was again not to go on about this too much because whenever i talk about Chingle hall the Mm. place i inevitably end up talking about strange but true (laughs) and it's hard to emphasize really but um it was presented by michael aspel Mm. who uh used to present TV show This Is Your, show, life. This is your mm. life. So he was this kind of respected, respectable, serious TV presenter. It wasn't yeah. It wasn't like Richard Burton or something. No, like, no. Some
1: crackpot wacko in a leopard print coat with Sorry, eyeshadow Richard. On. Oh, no. I mean, they're I all, you, they're all good Are Richard things? O'Brien? <laughs> <laughs> I am, yes. I'm not thinking Richard Burton. <laughs> oh <my> Richard <laughs> Burton's an actor. <laughs>
0: yes, quite a respected <laughs> actor. I don't think he's ever
1: worn eyeshadow <laughs> or a leopard print coat that you know of. I am <laughs> I think of Richard O'Brien. Oh my word! And I love Richard O'Brien as well. Like, yeah. I, I said that with the greatest of affection. But you're right, Michael Aspel lent a degree of credibility to it, to it. And, and as Richard Burton probably would mm, have as well. And, and not just the alleged
0: hauntings themselves, but the fact when when Michael Aspel said, you know, this is the most haunted house in England, and it was it was on it was on telly on saturday night and so it must be true and it was just up the road from where we lived and it felt really important and it felt like it was ours and um yeah so my mum actually got to stay there in the um mid to late 80s like mm. her and some other girls from her office in work did a i think um oh, what do they call it like a like a sponsored sleepover i think they called it a spookin or something <laughs> uh and apparently the the people who owned it at the time were really really friendly and had breakfast mm. with them the next morning and talked about some of the strange noises they'd heard in the night and whatnot and there was a there's a famous photo in my family did did you ever see it my mum and her friend staying at chingle hall and they're sat by the fireplace and there is what looks like a head sort of mm. floating in in the in the brickwork oh wow in, in the ingle mm. nook Let's, Oh, my God. Yeah, it's really cool. And um, and I was probably about seven when I went to Chingle Hall. We went a couple of times. I never stayed, sadly. I was too young for that.
1: Have you actually been inside the hall? I've been, in, wow. yeah, I've been oh, inside. I've only been to the grounds.
0: Uh, and I was so... I wasn't exactly scared because, as a kid, I just loved, you know, all things creepy, spooky, supernatural. <laughs> I was obsessed um, but I believed in it all, absolutely. Mm. I mean, it was on the telly. It was, you know. Uh, so I went. My my big obsession at the time was Ghostbusters. So I went on the Chingle Hall tour in full Ghostbusters overall <laughs> plastic proton pack on my back oh. and a little gun. With, you had it like a foam
1: thing that attached to it as 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 the the stream. <laughs> and you were twenty seven at the time, I believe.
0: Uh, Twenty-nine,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: I wish, I wish as a twenty-nine year old I'd been going around Chingle uh, Hall dressed as yeah. a Ghostbuster. If Chingle Hall was still open to the public, I'd be there now in my mm. Ghostbusters overalls. But I had to I had to wear that so that the ghosts knew that I wasn't afraid. Yeah, of, of course. course. <laughs> um, That's very cute. Yeah. And um I had one of those little um this there's a funny story about this, but we'll come to later. But um uh you know those little kids cameras that you had like this, this was back in in the well no not even the 90s but, oh no probably like but yeah probably very early 90s um you could get children's cameras mm. the old-fashioned ones like in short of the dead where you have yes, to wind it yes. to take the next picture ah. and then send them off to be developed <laughs> and wait weeks and weeks and weeks to see if they came out right which uh, they inevitably really didn't they come up with yeah. a sticker over a blurry kind of mass of yes. whatever. <laughs> And uh, I had uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh. Oh, no, it was Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, wasn't it? Because we weren't allowed to say ninja because it was too violent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, yeah, well, I was I was playing turtles once as a kid and I accidentally hit my friend with a wooden stick pretending it was a sword. So oh. there you go. Wow. Yeah. Violence in the media. Oh, my God. yes, yeah, It like... uh, has a lot to answer for. Yes. Anyway, um, I had... Uh, a turtle's camera. I think it was Donatello. It would it, The photos would come out with a watermark of Donatello giving a peace <laughs> sign in the top right-hand corner.
1: Oh. It's the most 90s thing ever. Did you offer to do anyone's wedding photos with those? I <laughs> a <laughs> little Donatello in each corner. Yeah,
0: and no one took me up on no, it.
1: What a shame. It's funny, this is a little bit of a non-sequitur, but when you were talking about um, going dressed in the full Ghostbusters regalia, mm. it makes me think of when we went to watch the... Uh, doctor who um music from the series concert with uh, nigel from the young ones uh sort of leading it yeah Um, and there was uh, a little kid in the audience and there were these monsters parading around the stalls Uh, people dressed up as clockwork robots and uh, cybermen and this little kid dressed in full matt smith regalia like leapt from his seat with the sonic screwdriver in his hand and pointed it at one of the clockwork robots. And it turned away. Yes. And that's the power you have when you're a child to kind of dispel your fears. I'm so glad I went back to that. I'm so glad I witnessed that. And you're right.
0: It was exactly, yeah, it was exactly that
1: that same thing. Um, That made the uh, ticket price worth it, just that one moment. (laughs) And this is probably like, 10, 15 years ago. Now, that kid's probably an adult. Oh, God, <laughs> yeah. Probably an accountant. <laughs> probably, yeah. No, Maybe he's writing Doctor Who now. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I hope if he is an accountant, he's got a sonic screwdriver pen <laughs> to impress all his clients when they yeah, come in definitely. to talk about hedge funds. <laughs> anyway, um, uh,
0: so, so I've, I found, um, a couple of years ago when I was moving house, I found a load of old photos. And I've got um, photos I took at Jingle Hall with my old mm. camera. And, you know, make of this what you will. But every time I tried to take a picture of the main door, there's, um, as is beautifully described in the book, which, which I promise we'll talk about in a minute. <laughs> um, There's a little bridge over to the old sort of studded wooden door. And there was always a black cat sort of curled up oh. either sort of just by the door or on the bridge. And um, I've got loads of photos of this, uh, the, this, of the shadow of the cat against against <laughs> the front of the building. And every time I tried to take a picture of, of the door, it it just went weird. There was mm. like a big black stripe down the side or the image was distorted in some way. Everyone's was of an injured turtle some... doing a piece yeah, well, too. And... I think. Oh, no. And Donatello was upside down on one of them. Ooh, Satanic that... turtle. Inver- inverted turtle. Seeing
1: one of your heroes inverted as a mm. child, that is spooky. Yeah. That, somehow that really creeps me out, the idea of the turtle being inverted.
0: Turtles cannot save you now, child. <laughs> um... But, Invertle the turtle But then we have mentioned already that in the 90s It was basically impossible to take a photograph So yeah, that's not, I'll throw yeah. that out there um,
1: Never let reality spoil a good story <laughs> Exactly Never underestimate the power of coincidence <laughs> um, well, Anyway Anyway Onto the book
0: um, Well the Chingle Hall was, was close to the public In, a, in a 1996 I think Was it 96? Yeah. And, that
1: must have been just after Strange But
0: True maybe that's what shut it down (laughs) yeah no no i think it must have been because the the owners sold it because i mean they seemed really really amenable to guests they were just you know
1: including the bbc yeah
0: i said when my mum stayed there they 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 just sat and had breakfast with the guy who owned it and just oh really sat chatting all morning and he was really lovely apparently
1: some people i used to work with stayed there as well they did a a trip there in the nineties. And they, uh, I guess it was a similar thing to your mum. So maybe they kind of welcomed office parties, but four people I worked with at Bridgewater Hall went to do a sleepover at Chingle Hall as well. So I guess that must've been Mm in the mid to late nineties.
0: But anyway, I I remember as a kid being really, really disappointed that it was shut. But when you're, you know, 10, it just seems nothing's forever. I remember being convinced as a kid you know one you know at, at some point we'll have definitive proof that uh, alien life exists yeah. but i think because when you're 10 the idea of being 20 is basically un- unimaginable <laughs> and the rest of your life seems so in- infinitely vast you think well just logistically everything that could possibly happen is going to happen mm. like the infinite improbability drive in hitchhikers <laughs> you know because because i've got you know another 70 years left to live and that's that's forever.
1: Well, I mean, it's in that way that I certainly assumed that my parents knew everything mm. when I was small. So I thought, well, if they know everything, they must have seen proof of the existence of ghosts and aliens. So oh. my time will come. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so
0: it wasn't like it's great tragedy that Chingle was no longer open to the public. Because it's like, oh, the people who currently live there. And I thought eventually they'll open it up or someone mm. else will buy it. And I think the person who owns it is a historian who doesn't believe in ghosts and is writing um, a boring—I mean, I mean—a non-fiction book about the history of the Singleton family, or some such.
1: Are they called Rebecca? No. Perhaps <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a book in joke, which uh, you—we're well, deliberately avoiding spoilers in this part of the book, <laughs> uh, and I'm sure well, we'll explain why in a moment. But...
0: Well, the the family in the book are called the Thorntons mm. uh, and. As as far as I'm aware, the family who own it are called the Kirkham's. No, there is there is an in-joke there yes. for anyone nerdy enough to know. But um You filed and I think geography. it it was probably when I was about twenty years old I suddenly realised, Oh, I will never set foot in Jingle Hall again. And so many I think being able to go there was such a huge part of the appeal. Um and I think a lot of like a lot of kids who live locally you know, right near, right in Guzna, right near Chingle. They've never heard of it.
1: No, it's almost like the myth has been stamped out somewhere. Yeah. Those stories are gone. And I guess maybe the family have tried to deliberately draw attention away from that. But in a weird way, as a child, it felt like there were ghosts living there. And that's where the place that ghosts Absolutely. were. Yeah, and now somehow it feels like the ghosts aren't there anymore. That sort of supernatural element has somehow been taken away from it. Whereas if the place remains. remains like in the ownership of somebody that embraced that story Mm. or even if it stayed derelict it's not the adult in me that Mm. sort of rejected (laughs) the idea of ghosts being there i would still think that the ghosts were there but something about the way that that story that myth has kind of been had the attention directed away from it it sucked the oxygen out of it it's
0: interesting that you say that you feel like the ghosts aren't there because the stories aren't there mm. which is kind of what I was what I was getting to that you know this book means so much to me because it gave me something that I thought I would never have mm. and it was the opportunity to go back to Chingle Hall oh. honestly from when I first read that opening page and the just description not just the the building but the, the way the light hits it and the trees around it and the that you know that set that funereal <laughs> sense that hush I was just like it was so emotional for me. I thought i'm I'm back I'm right back there and I've got something that I never thought I would I would have again um, and it might be worth mentioning at this point I mean every if you're listening to this you probably know us. Mm. but if you don't this is this is a book of bre- this is a book at breakfast first. I mean every episode's a first of some degree. <laughs> but this is the first time we're talking about a book by somebody we know. Mm somebody we know very well uh zowie swan the author of chingle hall is our friend my bandmate my sister-in-law <laughs> my one-time uh, co-author uh crescent yeah and a couple of years ago uh my friend piece cake bread and i uh set up a little indie publishing company uh, called safety pin publishing um and the idea being as the name suggests that we're you know I'm in a punk band, Pizza punk poet. We kind of met through that scene. And he runs a company called Cape Bread and Walton, who I'm also doing a bit of work for now. But way back in the day, it was uh piece cake bread and Ken Walton, um, who, yeah, we used to know very well. And Ken, when Ken retired, that kind of wound down a bit. And they did so many, you know, award-winning uh, role-playing games. They're very famous for their clockwork and chivalry, Series, it's just sort of steampunk alternative English Civil War game, and uh, for anyone who's a fan of the band Abney Parks, they did a, a role-playing game sort of based on the, the the songs and the the stories and the lyrics of Abney Parks, Airship Pirates. Um, but because nothing was really happening with Kate Bed and Walton, uh, and you know we've written bits, and this was in it was in the height of uh, twenty twenty lockdown. And nothing was happening sort of music wise. And we just got talking about how it was a shame that there wasn't a great little indie publishers doing the kind of fiction that we liked close to where we lived. And Pete said, yeah, it's a shame that I've got a publishing company and I'm not doing anything with it. And I said, well, <laughs> do you want to do something with it? And so then like, the keys to a DeLorean, <laughs> and then not time travel. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and I said, well, you know, I said, let's just do it in that punk DIY vein and you know the same approach i've always had to making albums and and podcasts <laughs> you know, have mike will talk
1: um, um it's not spoiling too much of the secret or peeping behind the curtain too much so we're doing this at my dining table <laughs> i prefer to think of it as a breakfast table uh, well yes yes uh. <laughs>
0: um but we talked about the things that we both liked i like as i've said many times that i like dark weird spooky stuff do you yeah um i thought i'd mention it because it's our halloween episode but obviously you know normally i wouldn't dwell on that kind of thing
1: i thought it was all Um, sweetness and candy yeah i don't know what book we're doing next month but i'm sure it'll be all sweetness and candy (laughs) for us it won't be a gothic masterpiece (laughs) i think Uh, doing the uh, hello kitty 2022 anthology next month (laughs) um it's got cats in it they're spooky aren't they are they black cats Uh, No, they're going to be pink, fluffy, and have their cartoony big eyes. I'm against it.
0: Ah, okay. (laughs) Um, uh, And Pete's really into his history as well, as Mm. you probably guessed from him writing an entire game series about the English Civil War. And we were talking about, so what kind of books do we want to do? And we sort of of said, dark, weird, spooky, historical books with a local angle. (laughs) And then purely coincidentally zowie mess uh, mentioned to me that she just started writing a book called shingle hall <laughs> and she sent me the prologue and it was just that first extract you read earlier or at least a, you know an embryonic version of it and i had that that incredibly emotional experience of being back there
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i was already completely in love with it without knowing anything about the story at that point but i knew that she'd captured the tone of it and i thought this is really important and people need to people need to read this Mm. these stories need to survive and without wanting to get into the book just yet there is a a kind of overriding theme in there about owning something versus being the custodian of something and i think when you're from a part of the world with a rich heritage of, of folkloric tales and urban legends and ghost stories like you almost have it sounds a bit lofty to say duty, but you do, you have a duty to preserve those stories and to retell them and to pass them on. And I think that Chingle was in danger of falling into mm. obscurity. And it, I thought, I'm so glad that she's writing this book. And I know on the one hand, it just sounds like, oh, we set up this company and ask someone we know, we knew to write a book for us. But we could have asked, I know so many authors, and, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, varying styles and, and all talented in their own way, but we really wanted something that matched like our vision for what the, the tone of Safety Pin would be, and tingle Hall was just perfect. It ticks every box. Absolutely, and it didn't disappoint. No. <laughs> and I wouldn't have published it if if it had. You know, um, I'm not just being nice, uh, but. Um, Again, so it's we're we're an indie publishers, and the book's only been out for a year. So, unusually for a book at breakfast, a lot of the books we talk about have been around for a long time, um, and we kind of go spoiler crazy because we just kind of assume things like 1984
1: that are just sort of even if you've not read it even if you've not seen the film you know what it yeah. is you know who the everyone has are. a concept of it it's one yeah. of those things you're born knowing like the discography of the Beatles and Fleetwood Mac exactly. and you, kind of, yeah. Yeah. you instinctively know what 1984 and Animal Farm and Lord of the yeah. Rings and Star oh. Wars are. exactly yeah um, they're part of the cultural fabric mm. um,
0: so I would I would urge you to go out and buy a copy of Jingle Hall immediately safetypinpublishing.co.uk but then I have to say that don't I <laughs> but um so what we'll do we'll try and keep the first half of this conversation spoiler free which will be a challenge for us because normally mm. we just ride roughshod uh, <laughs> over, over the narrative and just <laughs> but um well what's exciting for me uh is that obviously you've I haven't read this book for a while Although, I, I mean, I read the first draft of it I, and I didn't proofread it. I'm not a proofreader, uh, but I was a beta reader and I so I've read, I think there were about three drafts of it. I read each one and then I typeset the fourth and final. <laughs> so I've kind of, on the one hand, like I've very much absorbed this book, but also I've got different versions of it in my head <laughs> and I remember scenes that aren't in there anymore oh. and there are new scenes that I forget that are there. And um, so despite the fact that I've kind of internalized this book and, and just absolutely adored it i've not really read it since we put it together last year um but you've read it more recently than mm. i have and as i say what's exciting for me is that we haven't discussed it at no. all so this is this, this could
1: be potentially awkward i hope you liked it <laughs> <laughs> well i did uh, just to you know not leave you in suspense any longer i loved it um but there is always a kind of um awkwardness when a friend has written a oh, book the fear the fear um you you want to love it but there is a kind of uh, yeah a fear that you might not like it and that your friend will be saying well what did you think what did you think and you'll have to try and find something constructive to say uh without kind of lying I, I mean I struggle to if I don't like yeah. something I struggle to kind of lie and yeah. say I loved it when I didn't thankfully I did <laughs> I absolutely loved it and it kind of defied my expectations um so i was expecting perhaps a very traditional ghost story and i was expecting a novel that was rooted in, rooted <laughs> in history mm. um and i often tell myself that i don't like historical novels uh which is patently not true because every time i read something <laughs> that is uh kind of you know, referencing a period in history as long as it's written well i enjoy it it's all about the writing um but what i actually felt like i was reading uh was a novel about women and mm. the various kind of uh, torments and injustices that women have felt uh through different periods of history and how those things haven't necessarily changed much in the kind of about three or 400-year period that this takes place, Um, and that somebody in the 1980s um, Mm. who can be living under the auspices of an abusive father would draw a parallel with somebody in the... Is it the 1700s? Um, Earlier, I think. Is it earlier? Um, Well, several centuries before... Who would be living under the auspices of some abusive uncles who essentially are taking away all her power and literally locking her in a room. And again, I'm trying to stay spoiler three here. And I that connects. You're
0: talking about uh, Eleanor. Yes. Who is a, a real historical mm. person. A real historical. You know what I mean? Mm. She existed, and not a great deal is known about her. But it's widely rumored that she was horrifically abused mm. by her uncles and imprisoned in the house, uh, and possibly um, had a child by one of her uncles. That, uh, but anyway, but that's. So I don't think it's spoilerish to go into that territory. Mm. That's that's kind of the bedrock of of
1: of the tale, really. I guess um, when I started, it wasn't what I expected at all because we start right in present day Mm. with the character Rebecca, Mm. who I referenced earlier, who's a real cynic and uh, trying to dispel the idea of any ghost stories. And I was was like, oh, whoa, this is uh, right here. And now this character is very relatable. And it might not be somebody that I would um, choose to socialize with, (laughs) but I know this person. She seems so real. And I also really love that um, it kind of reminded me of um, the Grand Budapest Hotel, The way it starts with one story, and it's somebody typing. It leads you into the 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 next story. Um, In fact, no, it starts with the girl in the graveyard Mm -hmm. uh, who looks at the grave of the writer, and it goes to the writer, and the writer is typing, and then it goes back to his youth when he's in the hotel. And in the way that you sort of see the inner Russian dolls unfolding. So it starts with one character who meets another character, Mm. Hazel, who it sort of becomes her story, but Hazel talks about meeting the character Mrs. H. Yeah. Um, and then Mrs. H picks up parts of the narrative and then through Mrs. H it becomes about uh, Eleanor um, and how through the kind of Russian dolls of these women, you sort of, you find the story unfolding. And so any reservations I might have had about kind of being in a historical novel, are dispel because it takes your hand and it leads you into it. Mm. And... The thing that I really loved about it uh, is all the references to 80s music, specifically yeah. goth music, yeah. because it kind of took me back to that experience we had when we were younger and you were a, an out-and-out out goth. Yeah. And I probably didn't, I didn't dress like a goth, but I really yeah. liked the music and I yeah. still do like a lot of that. And all these references to the music kind of constantly kind of, you know, pulled me back to the now and uh, yeah. it Reading Dark the book. Dark of the loon. Yeah, and it, Dark it, side t- it took and me all back to yeah, going to and, those club yeah. nights. And yeah, there was something kind of instantly warm and familiar and like these touch points for me. So I love that. And I love the references to all the music. And I feel like there should be a Spotify playlist for this there book. Is. There is. Yeah. Oh, great. We'll, okay. post,
0: um, yeah. we'll post it in the show notes. Oh, fantastic. fantastic I'll be playlist. listening to it right after this.
1: Yeah. So anyway, that's my thoughts being as spoiler three as possible. What did you think?
0: Yeah. I absolutely loved it as I've, as I've said then that it made me want to invest lots of time and energy and, and, and love into it because, and you right, for me, it was, it's an incredibly sad book, mm. you know, oh, it's, God, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a book, not just about loss, but it's a book about grief. Mm. And, and you mentioned the Russian doll aspect and the idea that, you know, all these, these women, some of them hundreds of years apart, are sort of living the same story mm. and that there, that there are these weird parallels especially with eleanor and with hazel but and i loved the idea that they are dr- drawn each of them in their own way are drawn to this place mm. and um fairly early on um in the opening section with rebecca who is a student at lancaster university and like you say is trying to disprove the existence of of the supernatural but for interesting reasons Mm. uh and and as part of her research and her reasoning uh she mentions the Stone Tape by Nigel Neal, which is this sort of legendary folk horror teleplay from the seventies. Have you ever seen it?
1: No, I haven't. Oh, I've
0: heard of it. I don't know why I've not seen it. Nigel Neal, who wrote Beasts, mm. you know, and what well, famously Quatermass. And I don't think it's one of his best, actually, but it, it is legendary. But it's it's a really interesting idea. It's sort of a ghost story, and I called it folk horror, but in a way, it's it's also science fiction because the idea is that sort of they're They're studying hauntings, and there's this idea that that memories or images or something can be preserved in stone, you know like the stone tapes yeah. and And I think that's an idea that's at the heart of Jingle Hall that somehow this place attracts grief but mm. also retains it and it without wanting to get into spoiler territory there are, there are I think there are multiple ways you can read this book. And in terms of the supernatural element, on the one hand, it is a ghost story. Absolutely, it's a ghost story. But I always think you could interpret it so many different ways, like what are the ghosts? And are they memories? Mm-hmm. Are they memories echoing in stone in this old house? And what are we? What are, we? <laughs> what <Yeah>. are ghosts, <laughs> if, if not memories? You know? And what kind of memories linger? So it's interesting that you mentioned the trauma you know and, and and the abuse that and the idea that and there's the weird dichotomy at the heart of jingle hall the place and the novel that it's at once an incredibly comforting place at times almost sort of to the level of fairy tale mm. um and yeah, yet for hazel it's yeah. a kind of sanctuary oh, well, and uh and mayard without wanting to get mm. too much into for, for various reasons um it, yeah like you say it's a sanctuary it's a, it uh it has the sanctuary knocker mm. on on the door um, which I guess comes from historically, um, a Chingle Hall was owned by Catholic families during a time of persecution. And there are priest hides in the house and mass was conducted secretly there. And there's a, there's a witch window where they would light a candle as a secret signal to indicate that mass was taking place that night. And, so on the one hand, it's already full of secrets and mystery, and yet there's that I, that concept of sanctuary. And in their own way, I think they all find sanctuary at Chingle Hall, mm. but at what price? And um, so I think you know, it, in many ways, it is it is a, a traditional ghost story, and I think it is apart from the the modern day parts, it is a historical novel. And and I generally would say I sort of share your thoughts on historical novels. As a rule, um, but I think the kind of books you're talking about are the sort of books where it's I don't want to say style over substance, but there's been so much research into the exact kind mm. of lace that someone would have, and they can be <laughs> quite know. dry. And they can be quite dry because it's it's all information and all detail and no real heart, or sometimes the 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 strive for period accuracy overwhelms or overshadows. The, the human element, and stories are about people. Mm. You know, ghosts and stories are the same thing. And They're these the are very believable, relatable linger. characters. Yeah, exactly. And you could
1: say the same about your book. I don't know if you've mentioned The File Witch oh, thank on this. You. Um, but you could argue in some way that that's like a historical novel. And there's definitely shared DNA between The file Witch and Chingle Hall. That's especially interesting. Especially in terms of the kind of shared struggles of mm. women in the two books. Is... Um, but... There is such warmth and depth of characters in both books um, that kind of draws you in. And rather than that kind of historical detail, which can be quite alienating to Mm. me. I mean, if you're you're reading a book for historical Mm. detail, then it might be great. But um, to me, it's about the characters. and You want to feel like you bond with characters. And I know the best books because... I can't bear to finish them because the characters feel like they've become part of my extended yes. family in real life. I and felt that both so of these books in Books like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, Hazel especially, but all of them, mm. really. But um, uh, talking of warmth and talking of women, mm. it's time for a, a return of a classic book at breakfast section. It's something that we've not had the opportunity mm. to do for a while. I think in our first three episodes, it was sort of a constant but then when we strayed into sort of 1984 hitchhiker's guide you know we we lost it but it's time for the return of the grandmother appreciation section of the podcast
1: ding 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 grandmother appreciation section of the podcast
0: we took that opportunity to have a tea break because we felt certain it's what mrs h would want us to do in fact i think i saw her pottering about in the kitchen
1: oh sure (laughs) yeah
0: again if you haven't read the book i'm just going to give you a little excerpt here and if you had read the if you have read it you'll enjoy reading hearing this again so the character of hazel has as mark mentioned earlier has sort of escaped um her abusive father and sought sanctuary at chingle hall chingle hall with mrs (laughs) h
1: The wonderful Mrs. H.
0: Who isn't uh, literally Hazel's grandmother, but she's everybody's grandmother.
1: (laughs) She kind of becomes her grandmother by proxy.
0: It's dark by the time Mrs. H returns. I'm up a ladder, changing the bulbs in the chandelier in the great hall when I hear the telly going in the lounge. Climbing down from the ladder, I wander down the corridor towards the tiny living room and see Mrs. H sitting in a chintzy armchair. She's watching Family Fortunes. Save for the television, the room is in darkness. I watch her profile for a moment, bathed in the dancing blue light of the television. Her eyes seem sad and unfocused, not watching the game show at all. I feel uneasy, disturbing her, half thinking she won't remember inviting me to stay, that she'll go potty and throw me out. Just then, her head snaps round to look at me, lurking awkwardly in the doorway. For a split second, she looks as though she doesn't know me, But then her face breaks into a kindly smile, and I feel relief crash through me. Hello dear, I didn't see you there. How'd you get on today? Tell me over a pot of tea. I follow her back through the house towards the kitchen, and she sets about brewing tea. I hesitate at the doorway of the kitchen, which I have not entered, since whatever happened this morning, well, happened. I hang back, reluctant to follow, and watch Mrs H as she darts about the kitchen industriously. She stops, sensing my trepidation. What happened? Was it George? I stare at her, open mouthed in confusion, not knowing how to answer. George, she repeats, as if I should know what she's talking about. He's the bloody noisy one, always clattering about, slamming doors. Oh, well, yeah, I guess it was George. Mrs. H nods her head and walks toward me. How'd you get him to stop? I shuffle from one foot to the other, feeling rather stupid. I told him I'd tell you. I say in a small voice Mrs. H frowns for a second and then throws back her head in a raucous laugh that seems completely out of character clever girl, you showed him he won't mess with you again he certainly won't want to get on my wrong side I watch the old lady as she busies about the kitchen once more she looks as sweet as a grandmother and as dangerous as a dinner lady I love that (laughs) I love that so much
1: it's almost worthy of Russell T Davies. That oh
0: way. yeah, and I think anyone who's grown up in the north of England knows that character. Yes. Probably everybody in the world knows a variation <laughs> on that character. But Mrs H is the archetypal northern nan. You know, the kettle's always on, and there's just something, something so homely about it. Um, the TV clicking on. I think she watches Corrie at one point, and that idea, like the safety of it you know the the glow of the telly the the the, the warmth of the tea and yet there's there's an inherent melancholy as well Mm. because and there's a really really delightful scene in fact my favorite scene in in the whole book actually where um where hazel goes out to the local pub and (laughs) uh and it's it's set in the 80s this section although when i first read it i wasn't quite sure if it was modern day and it and it was in some kind of time loop because there's something weirdly timeless about the stag's head um not as it is in real life we went there for the Chingle hall book (laughs) launch in halloween last year um but as as described as it was in the 80s there's something like you feel like you could wander down a country lane and still stumble mm. upon a, a pub like that. But um, I that
1: reminds me of the story your dad wrote. Uh, oh, Christmas yes. One year, yeah. Where somebody visited a pub, yep, and uh, was talking to the people at the bar, and then came out of it, and uh, it turned out that they were dead, well, and the yeah. <laughs> pub had been closed for a long yeah. time, and. Yeah. The landlord's tipple. Yes, that was. Poison it. in the beer. Yeah. <laughs> um not that that does happen in this story. Hopefully there's no poison in the sass. <laughs>
0: but um the, yeah, it's a, a wonderful scene where Mrs. H is trying to encourage Hazel to to get out there mm. and live uh and be young and go out and you know, she does meet somebody. Spoilers. But I think we're we're getting toward that time when we if we, we will discuss light spoilers. Mm. Um but uh and she hazel can't stay in there with this old woman cooped up you know she has she has a choice to make and there's an inherent sadness about that choice so that's how yeah. that's how it felt to me anyway and yeah it, it, I have to mention the stag's head it's still there uh in gosna just outside preston and it's a wonderful wonderful pub uh and not quite like it was in the 80s as described in in chingle hall but i must read just another extract from when uh, Hazel finally braves the local pub (laughs) away from the comfort of family fortunes and pots of tea Uh, I've seen it happen before in dull old western films when the rogue cowboy walks into the saloon and the piano player pauses mid refrain and the ruffians stop playing poker usually someone gets shot and falls backwards over a table it's a trope I'd seen in cartoons and sitcoms but that sort of thing doesn't happen in real life In real life, people carry on murmuring, only they stop murmuring about whatever they had been murmuring about, and start murmuring about you instead. Right now, however, movie magic bleeds into real life, and the stag's head rushes into a sudden, saloon-worthy silence, except there is no jaunty piano music playing in the first place, and the old men are playing bone-yellow dominoes, not cards. I hope to God none of them is carrying a pistol, or I'll have to pick a table to fall over. I walk a little further into the pub and look around at the surprised faces. Of course, I'm used to a reaction. It can be argued that looking as I do, I'm practically seeking one. But usually, this isn't quite so obvious. The inhabitants of the pub are visibly scandalized by my giant haystack of hair, and my striking cat eye. They look at me as if I've crawled out of the nearest bog. And like you say, like especially you know, uh, going in like old old men pubs all gothed up like you know we've all been there I hope you've been there <laughs> and
1: I, I love suppose it. we've but all been she... there as a teenager yeah. in whatever tribe you aligned yourself mm. to where you have kind of purposely chosen to look out of place to reflect how you feel inside Yeah, ex- exactly and then that. you suddenly feel that the eyes of society are on you and you're sort of like you know realising that by choosing your tribe you're sticking out like a sore thumb in some situations yeah so. And yeah. it's, I'm sure we can all relate to that vulnerability.
0: Yeah, she's there with her back-combed hair and <laughs> a Susie Sue-inspired eye makeup. Because it, you mentioned the cultural aspect. It's worth mentioning as well, we're, t- we're calling Hazel a goth, but this is like 84, so she's not. A, she thinks of herself as a punk. Mm. It was still post-punk then. The goth label hadn't really become yeah. what it is now. But it, it's great. It's my favourite moment in the whole book, and arguably not that related but to me, it just seems so important in terms of that human heart of it. And, and she yeah, Hazel proves herself in a scene that, for me, was really reminiscent of a similar moment in my Mad Fat Diary. <laughs> the, the jukebox scene with, uh, she describes it as, uh, Ten pence will get me three songs, three wishes. <laughs> and how do, you, how do you win over uh, a pub of people staring at you like you're the creature from the Black Lagoon? You put
1: David Bowie on, of course. <laughs> doo, doo, doo. I'm an alligator. Doo, doo, doo. I'm a mama papa coming for you. I'm a, a space, space invader. invader. I'll, I'll be a rock and rolling rollin bitch for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, we get Moon Age Daydream. <laughs> and everybody is united by, by the, I think she, is it, the strange beauty of the lyrics. That's just... Bowie never fails. You'd think an alien with orange hair and makeup would make a guy like Phil run a mile. But <laughs> Bowie is just fucking transcendent, says Jolie and the barman. But we'll,
1: we'll learn more of him later. It's so true as well, David Bowie. There's something, you know, thinking about how he was a kind of uh, a mascot for the Outsiders in the mm. 70s. I remember um, somebody I used to work with telling me that as uh, a gay man in the 70s, you didn't feel like there were any um, kind of people out there for you. And then David Bowie appeared and he could wear makeup Mm. and he could dress in drag or he could dress up as another species. Yeah. And all of a sudden there was, there was somebody for you that was kind of out there singing to you and you could go to clubs and David Bowie would be on and he'd be there for you. But at the same time, David Bowie could be played on a like classic rock radio station now and somebody that, didn't have any kind of fair uh, outsider traits the most conventional person in the world would still relate to those songs and he is universal so y- yeah perfectly picked
0: what I absolutely love and we've mentioned this word before sanctuary and the idea that there's sanctuary at Chingle Hall mm. and what we have here sort of culturally it's another form of sanctuary A cultural and comfort, sanctuary yeah. yeah and you even get it with, with Eleanor who's imprisoned and has so little escape and then she finds some Chaucer yeah, you know she doesn't have pop music but she has mm. stories and they all in their own way escape like sometimes literally <laughs> um and but other you know that, that 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 sense of belonging the sense of alienation versus belonging and I think Zowie just sums that up so well yeah. and it's that I think that's why that moment is my favorite moment in the book that seems on, on the surface so inconsequential but to me like we were saying earlier in terms of you can have something that's full of historical detail, but you need the human heart. Yes. And that scene is all heart. And you learn so much about Hazel and who she is and what (laughs) matters to her and what she shares in common with the others, you know,
1: and how ballsy she is too. Mm. I just, she doesn't slink off. She resolutely grabs her. What is it? Sass.
0: Oh yeah. So as I said, I've, I've, I, you know, I read probably the earliest version of this book when hazel ordered as you would a snake bite and black because that's what goths drink <laughs> um and i've been to the stag's head many 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 years ago um it, there's a there's a reference in the novel actually to the new uh hospital they're building at whittingham yeah. there was up until about 2006 uh an abandoned asylum it's not very um it's not right to say an insane asylum but that's what it was referred to as yeah. in the day it was you know it was, it was a lunatic asylum and um we used to go <laughs> and sneak round, <laughs> ignoring the dangerous best signs and take photos <laughs> of the crumbling old wards and uh and on one such expedition we went for a pint in the stag's head afterwards and and it was only this dim recollection reading the book that oh my god i've been in that pub and, and i know spoke to people who who'd, who'd drank there in the 80s and uh but we had to go and you know actually see it and get a sense of the geography of it and um and you know certain things it feels like such a a tired old cliche the old write what you know things and you know I like as a writer I don't want to get stuck in that thing of only ever writing things set in my hometown (laughs) but as you know I do tend to like gravitate toward local stories and things and I think it's that idea that you can touch them and also if you're not a millionaire and you don't have funds to go and travel i think you can't you know i could i've seen enough films that i could write a story set in new york mm. but it wouldn't really be new york because i've never been there it would be no. an idea of it and this is it's a silly little detail It'd but be like that, a dream yeah uh so we went we went to the stag's head and because hazel orders a snake bite in black <laughs> Zari had to order a snake bite in black and the person behind the bar just looked at her and said do you mean a sass <laughs> and we'd never heard that before oh, and like we you know it's only i've not, like not heard it before how far away is Chingle hall like pff, 25 minute drive from where <laughs> we are you know blackpool preston and there's a different you know different colloquialism for for just in case you don't know um snake bite is half cider half lager mm-hmm. And if you're a proper goth, you top it up with blackcurrant. Snakebite in black. Um, <laughs> to a make lot of, it even sweeter. Yeah. <laughs> no, to make it even blacker. Um, <laughs> uh, even purpler. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a lot of pubs... I, I remember drinking Snakebites when I was about 16. Um, but a lot of pubs now... I mean, I haven't ordered one for <laughs> over a decade. But um, they won't serve it or they say that they're not allowed to. And they will have they'll give you like a pint a half of lager and a half of cider and a pint glass. Like, you you do it yourself, I can't, you know, more than my job's worth why? I have no idea. I guess it's very strong. It does get you drunk (laughs) um quickly. Wow. Um too dangerous. (laughs) Or maybe they just they just think it's beneath them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a mixologist, for God's sake. (laughs) Um no the word mixologist didn't exist in the eighties. Um but
1: so it was probably referred to uh, DJs backing up Run DMC and things. So.
0: <laughs> but uh, but you can get a pint of snake bat, snake bite. Snake the, bat, s- that's very good. bat. Oh my God, I've invented a new drink. <laughs> but what's the
1: extra ingredient? Um, bat's milk. Yeah, we're going to get a bit caves with Androzani on this. That's Juniper the... berries. Juniper <laughs> what yeah, yeah. um,
0: no, uh, what, what 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 do they use in absinthe? Is it wormwood?
1: Oh, yes, I think it is. I don't Wyrmwood. even know what that is. Wormwood sounds quite goth. It does. You know, it doesn't makes it, me like think of dusty old bookshelves in old houses. There so. you go. Snake Let's go bat, with that.
0: Snake bat, wormwood, cider, lager, blackcurrant.
1: Black yeah. um, I think there is a bit of the goth revival happening at the moment, actually, among. Yeah, kids, I. So they need a new drink for their generation. Did Nina and Corrie start the goth revival? I kind of wonder that. Um, I, I like to hope so because when Nina came into it, Obviously, we're going off on a tangent here, but goth, I don't think, was kind of as prevalent. I remember when I was younger, you'd always go to Camden in London. Oh, and you'd, Camden, back in the full of day. goths. And there Camden was a point through a few years where yeah. you, there were no goths in Camden. It was
0: really sad. Last time I walked through yeah. Camden, it was like a different place. It broke my heart.
1: But the last couple of years, I've seen kids gothed up again, wandering oh, around the streets. And I'm going to London in a, a month, so I'll uh, keep an eye out for... Well, there's goths on Camden High Streets. This is a tangent, but it is kind of relevant in a way. Um,
0: And we, funnily enough, we were talking about this before we started recording. We were talking about music and the way that technology changes and culture changes and the the way people absorb things. And and we were saying that people don't quite get immersed in music possibly now. I mean, we're talking about young people. We're Mm. in our 30s. What what would we know? Mm. But it feels like without wanting to be, you know, old man shouting at a cloud you don't get the thing of getting the album booklet and pouring over the lyrics and and without before streaming you had your albums that you had or the the mixtape someone gave you and you would listen to them to death yes and you would things that you didn't that didn't grab you initially you would give them the time and try to penetrate them and and grow to love them and anyway i don't go on about that but in terms of like the tribes you know if you were a punk or a goth or you know whatever like that was a big thing pre-internet to go out you know literally sort of wearing your heart on your sleeve mm. and declaring this is what i am this is what i'm into this is what I, you know and that would I, be
1: like sending up the bat signal exactly, for other people yeah. to say i'm one of you like embrace yeah. me we'll be kind of part of the same culture and, and this will be your friendship group
0: but the way people socialize and the way people sort of consume music and it's it's all changed and you don't need to go outside to find your tribe (laughs) if you can just talk to people online and you know we know like with 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 instagram and tiktok like the way people present themselves online is not necessarily how they would look when they're going Mm. to the shops and like you know when we were younger like you kind of lived it (laughs) (laughs) you know you'd, you'd go out to Buy some, you know, some perfectly innocent ghost-shaped crumpets and risk getting your head kicked in just for looking like a weirdo, you know. Anyway, let's not go too far down that rabbit hole. But um, I tell you what's weird, talking of Molly Gallagher, who plays um, Nina and Cory, mm. And Zoe probably, I don't know if she'll approve of this or not. Zoe, um, not a Cory fan. Oh, it's not that. It's just, like, everybody, like, has their versions of the characters, don't mm. they? And what's really strange, when you first meet Hazel... Now, as I say, we're into mild spoiler territory now. So if you want to be completely spoiler free, go away, read the book and come back. But we're not going to, you know, we, we're going to assume you haven't read it. So mm. we're not going to give away the ending. Or, um, But when you first meet Hazel, she isn't all gothsed up. She's wearing sort of overalls and she's, she's mm. doing some work. and and But something about her, I don't know why. I imagine I immediately, you know, how you sort of mentally cast people in the roles. I saw her as Mo- Molly Gallagher, oh, not right. not okay. Nina, but yeah. something about that actress, like her turn of phrase, like, and I think she's got that sort of slightly old beyond her years thing, and oh, the way that, yeah. the way Hazel is with Rebecca, like, oh, you're mm. a funny one, aren't you? And yet, and, and like, aren't, aren't we the same age? And yet, you're being quite patronising, <laughs> and yet you seem quite worldly, and and, and then the person
1: to, she finds it easiest to bond with is Mrs H, who uh, is like Roy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's weird but i think there is you know without wanting to get too wanky there's something about being an old soul you know what mm. i mean um i not feel it, like there's a you know there's a brilliant bit later on where hazel does go out with some young people and it well not your, your people her own age it doesn't really end well and
1: no it's a, it's a little bit donny darko actually that it's is very it?
0: donny yeah. darko <laughs> yeah i never i never thought of that mm. oh my god wow But they yeah. were going
1: down a different rabbit hole
0: oh um but yeah so and then when you get more of hazel and you realize the music she's into and how she presents herself with the clothes and the makeup i thought oh wow yeah molly gallagher but anyway i've digressed I've massively what were we talking about were we were talking about the sanctuary of of, mm. of pop culture and music and how yeah that scene in the pub is just is just everything and uh and also, we were just discussing on our tea break, I can't, that Mrs. H is mainly just referred to as Mrs. H. Mm. And I can't remember what the H stands
1: for. I can't remember <laughs> the character's actual name. I, she, I don't think it's either revealed, I but. I like um, it is. Uh, n- knowing the but, author, I'm sure she will put us right <laughs> if she's listening to this. Um, but
0: the reason I can't remember it is because, and I hope it's okay for me to say this, I, anybody who's read up about Chingle Hall will know this, but. Um, the character of Mrs. H is is based on a real person. Mm. There was a Mrs. Howarth um, who you know, very much like her counterpart in the book um, was she rented Chingle Hall in the 40s. Her and her husband lived there Um, and it was just like her absolute pride and joy and I think that that they put so much time and effort and money into restoring it and and they eventually bought it in the 60s and and lived there until they both died sometime in the 80s Um, and apparently, I mean, and I know I've said that luckily enough, I got to go to Shingle Hall and my mum stayed there, but you know, you, you would ring up and book and pay, Mm. but so so the stories go where, when Mrs. Howarth lived there, you could just go up and knock on and she, she'd invite you in (laughs) and tell you the stories. So this is, you know, this is Eleanor's room and she'd tell you about you know the, the the hooded phantasm that no. uh that haunted the priest's room and you know she loved it she was so invested in it and in its history and it's um and i believe i could be wrong about this i think she left it to her sister um but for whatever reason she didn't love it no. and and it fell to disrepair and there was, there was vandalism and i think it was actually set on fire at oh, some point man. like um
1: it makes me feel sad for uh, the original Mrs H. Mrs. I know Health. it's
0: it's it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Um, and then yes, I mentioned that my mum stayed there and chatted to the owner. And I've just I checked, I checked earlier. <laughs> um, his name was John Bruce, and he bought it in 1986. Um, oh. So it would, probably would have been about 88 that my mum stayed there, I think. And then yes, he was there for for 10 years, and I th- he was working on a book. But as far as I know, it never never saw the light of day. Oh, I'd be interested if anybody yeah. knows right in and let us know because i don't know if he's still alive anymore but um yeah i'd love to i'd love to read his experiences
1: there was also a reference to it an, another tv series that was going to be filmed at the end of the yeah. 80s It was gonna go at 40 minutes 40 minutes now, I've yeah i've not seen that i've not so seen my, it. my exposure on tv to it was strange but true but i'd be interested to see what that 40 minutes tv program was like and if it presents if, a kind of different yeah, um, yeah. sort of facet of it compared to the strange but true one and
0: if that's out there if you've mm. seen us let us know i would yeah. love i would love to watch that so so the character of mrs h you know she straddles that 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 boundary between fiction and non-fiction and as we've mentioned you know eleanor de singleton really lived there with her uncles and then you get rebecca and hazel who I have to keep reminding myself, are fictional characters. <laughs> because honestly, not only do they they feel so real, they mm. feel like people that I know. They feel like family. And and it's so well-crafted. And the historical detail is so rich, but not at the expense of, of, of the human drama, that I just cannot believe that Hazel and Rebecca aren't every bit as real as Mrs. H and Eleanor. What's interesting know, they,
1: about Hazel is... Um, you feel such warmth to her and you love her so much and yet your introduction to her is through the eyes of rebecca who mm. i think is kind of finds a quite peculiar there's a, there's a and standoffish there's a yeah. yeah yeah and yet you instantly you get the impression that there is a twinkle in hazel's eye as she is, there uh, is. yeah talking to rebecca and you can only guess at why at that point um, but you instantly feel this warmth to her. And then when it kind of goes into her narrative and you find about the relationship with her father Mm, and her mother mm. being absent and running away and how she comes to be in Chingle Hall, you really love her. There is such a kind of, you know, in that sense that I was saying that the best book characters become like your family, there's something very familial about Hazel. Oh, Um, massively. Yeah. Yeah. So you're right. It is baffling that, you know, she's not some distant cousin that I hear from sending me mixtapes with Joy Division
0: and the Cure on. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But you know, you'll feel that like when you listen to the Chingle Hall playlist, you'll you'll feel like you're listening to a, a mixtape. Mark's just getting the playlist up now.
1: Oh, this is interesting. Um I don't really know death cab the Cutie, which is the first track. You'll um, love the song Right, like it. okay. Gorgeous. But the second track, which surprised me, is Bat the Lashes, mm. uh, Winter Fields, which I wouldn't have placed in this book because it's kind of out of the it's timeline, more, but yeah when I knowing the lyrics as I mm-hmm. do, it's perfect. And I saw Back to the Lashes live on that tour. So I I kind oh. of it's nice when you kind of you connect with something on one level and then you feel this kind of extra level of connection and think, oh well, I was in that mind for her when mm-hmm. she was writing it. And Dead Souls, of course. Uh I'm not gonna go through each track. Uh this mortal coil that takes me back and slow dive interesting yeah. the singer from slow dive uh, sings on some editors records oh well. Wow. Um, uh. wow and of course oh, PJ Harvey yeah uh.
0: and of course Joy Division yeah twice I think Echo <laughs> get, and the Bunny Man you get the classic mm. it isn't fair that Ian Curtis
1: is yeah. dead when people like Keith Chegwin are still alive <laughs> <laughs> Is Kate? Yeah, Kate Bush is mentioned in the book, isn't she? So we've got "How to Be Invisible" on the playlist. I think so. Yeah. Oh my god! Sorry, there's there's a song on here by Johnny Flynn and Robert McFarlane, uh, and I didn't think anyone else listened to them. (laughs) They've got a song. um, uh, I'll come back to it later, but that is an incredible playlist. And Lady Eleanor, of course. Of course. (laughs) Wow. But
0: one thing that I I forgot to mention earlier, I talked about my uh, teenage Newton.
1: Teenage Newton? Newton, That was me. No,
0: (laughs) My teenage mutant hero turtles camera. And uh, when I met Zowie, it turned out she also had the same camera as a kid and also went to Chingle Hall with that camera Mm -hmm. and took the same picture of the exterior of the house with the cat on the bridge and had the same weird black line obscuring (laughs) like was it a badly made camera or was it something else Mm. so maybe a little of both given the uh, quality of the camera (laughs) maybe and there's a wonderful line um from the epilogue so put your fingers in your ears if you don't want to have a minor spoiler Um, but it was just the line about some presence at shingle shall we say children and cats love me and when I read that line, I got chills because that And I've found it. There's a picture of me, seven years old, stood by the studded door with the wine knocker next to the cat. And I just <laughs> thought it was yeah, it was such a moment. And I'm back to what I was saying earlier about how this book it took me back there to this place that both kind of like delighted and terrified mm. and intrigued me and. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a marvel. It's a marvel. It really is that, aside from everything we've just talked about about how wonderful it is as a story in its own right, as as a love story and a story about grief and loss, and it's full of humour and warmth and and you know, it it absolutely stands up on its own as a ghost story and a love story. But for me, it, you get that extra dimension of it being like a magic portal as all good books should be magic portals that take you somewhere else. And this takes you to Chingle hall. And that's just wonderful. And I'm so glad this book exists. I'm so glad that Zoe wrote it.
1: It definitely is a portal. um, Because in a strange way, um, I moved to the other side of Manchester almost about 10 years ago Mm. and have forgotten some of the kind of mythology of Lancashire. And so Goosner, where Chingle Hall is had um, ceased to become as much of a presence in my head and I started reading this book around the time I was moving house and I'd moved Mm. back to Lancashire and so it kind of reopened up an area of the Lancashire mythology that I'd forgotten about and it felt like as I was coming back closer to the stories the stories were kind of coming back to life so in terms of what I was saying earlier about the the ghosts not being there anymore this book has put the ghosts back in Chingle Hall.
0: Could there be any higher praise? <laughs> that's what I mean. Like Zowie is the custodian of those stories. Yes. And yeah. it's somebody else's turn next, but they've been passed on, mm. and that's that's absolutely beautiful. Oh, should be really pleased to know that. <laughs> <laughs> but long term listeners might be thinking, Oh, he's moved. What about Lee's Chippy? <laughs> I know that's what well. you're really here for. <laughs> So, as luck would have it, you've moved right around the corner from another Chinese chip shop. Uh, so we can sit at the bus stop and eat them and feel sad with Adrian Mole.
1: Well, before, it was an eight-minute walk to the nearest Chinese chip shop. Here, it's a four-minute walk. And the entire move wasn't motivated by this, but it's a very happy coincidence. Well, yeah, but you're in Lancashire now. Everything's yeah. better. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the tea and the pies. Yeah, and the crumpets, so. for that matter
0: we're having chips for tea tonight um anyway normally at this stage uh we would talk about adaptations but jingle hall's only been out for a year so as yet sadly there are no adaptations although hopefully this episode is sounding really really good because we've we've got a new high-tech setup um we're still we're still figuring it out um but as I mentioned as well that I work for Safety Pin Publishing and this is part of us looking into producing audiobooks Um, so hopefully before this year is out there may be a Chingle Hall audiobook and I'll be very excited if that materialises and I will be singing it from the rooftops, I'm posting lots of links, so you may. When, when you even... say you'll be singing it from the rooftops, you mean it's a
1: musical audio
0: book? No, I'm just singing the book. Do you remember when Peter <laughs> Serafinovich sang Morrissey's autobiography? <laughs> yeah, yes. My
1: whole life is streets above <laughs> streets. I'm gonna sing Chingle Hall,
0: but as uh, <coughs> it, it, it a goth song, you know. <laughs> Ten summers I've withered here in this chamber, trapped in this coffin of a house, alone in this living grave. Pain and lonesomeness, my only bedfellows fellows, only bedfellows
1: It's good. It's. I think it's got legs, and I think it's their. I think it's, it's got, got, got wings. Revival. I think it's got bat wings. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
0: happy Halloween. We're happy gonna, Halloween. gonna leave you now. I say Happy Halloween, it's only the 1st of October, but it's kind of like Christmas. Like, you know, Halloween is a month-long festival. We're in Halloween Advent now. I mean, to use Mad-vent.
1: the, the strap line of the old goth night we used to go to, every day is Halloween. Um, well, I tell you what, seen as every day is
0: Halloween, um, what what book should we do next? I think we should <laughs> stick with gothic masterpieces by um, amazing women.
1: Well, <laughs> I think in, in that case, we might have to ditch the original plan of the Hello Kitty anthology. And how about Frankenstein by Mary Shelley instead? It's alive! <laughs> oh, wait, no, it's the film, isn't it? Um, <laughs> which bears little resemblance, but we'll get into that next time. Do we have to read the letters at the start? <laughs> yes, we damn well do. <laughs> See you in November for Frankenstein.
0: See you then.